Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles, please, and open them to Hebrews chapter 4 and Numbers chapter 13. And if you want to get ahead, also Deuteronomy chapter 1. You know, we're studying through the book of Hebrews verse by verse, and we've come to Hebrews chapter 4 where there's quite a few things happening to this group of Jewish believers. They're wanting to go backwards. They're looking back toward Judaism, and they're not entering in and, ex- and, and enjoying the rest that's found by faith in Jesus Christ. They're being tempted. And there is a mention in chapter 4, verse 3, a quotation of Psalm 95. And in that it says, For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, I swore in my wrath, that they shall not enter my rest. Now we've mentioned it in brief so far, but I want to introduce you to this they. Who are these people that the author of Hebrews is using as an example? And we find them back, if you want to come back with me, in Numbers chapter 13. We find this they. Who are these people that are being used as an example that we might not follow in their footsteps. And they represent a group of people that we know as the children of Israel. And these are the ones that have been delivered from Egypt and God is bringing them into the promised land. And while we've touched on it in previous studies, I wanna go in depth for us to grasp the context. And we'll do this a few times in our study in Hebrews where we're going to pause and fill in some blanks. Like the next blank that we're going to fill in is the significance of the biblical Sabbath because it becomes such a point of argumentation today that I want to go through the Bible and teach you what is the believer's response to the Sabbath today so that you're not easily tripped up. We'll do that next time. But today we want to to grow in understanding how fear and faith are mutually exclusive. It's really difficult to have strong, abundant faith when you are grasped by fear and anxiety. Fear will rob us of our faith. Fear will rob us and steal away our trust in God's grace. It's fear and anxiety that will undermine a vibrant faith. Jot it down in 2 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 7 it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Faith is not leading to fear. They don't go together. And we meet a group of people today, the children of Israel, who failed to enter in to the rest of God. As a matter of fact, at the end of chapter 3 in Hebrews, I'll just read it to you. At the end of chapter 3, it says, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. It's the same they. This group that we meet in Numbers chapter 13, if you would, pick up with me in verse 1. In Numbers chapter 13. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan 
which I am giving to the children of Israel. Pause right there, and if you'd like to write in your Bibles, circle or highlight the phrase, which I am giving. Because this is what we would call today a promise of God. He has stated that he will give this land to the nation of Israel. He's not saying I might give it to you. He's not saying maybe one day. He's not saying if you have your, get your hopes up too high, you, you might get it. He's not saying that. God is saying, send some men into the land that I am giving you. It's a promise. God's word. He has put it on the line. He says, send them from each tribe of their fathers. You'll send a man. Everyone, and mark this, a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. So send the leaders, one from each tribe, to go check out the land. The land that I am giving. The land that will be yours. I'm going to do the work, God says. That's the language of grace. Giving is the language of grace. All that God will do on your behalf and mine. I'm going to give you the land. You, through your cooperative obedience, will enjoy the land, but I'm going to give it to you. It's theirs by promise. And isn't today, don't you notice today, if you pay attention, not, maybe not a day goes by on the news, uh, or at least on my news feeds that I read daily, not a day goes by that something is not happening in the nation of Israel. Something not, some crazy thing, some conflict, some difficulty. I even have an app on my phone, maybe you have it as well that will shoot off warning signs, warning texts or notifications when down in the southern part of Israel, the, those from Gaza are shooting over rockets into Israel, like literal bombs constantly. They'll do them 10, 15, 20 at a time. There's great conflict, and the conflict is surrounding who does the land belong to. That's the conflict. And I know it gets communicated in the press politically, but it's not a political issue. It's a religious issue. And according to God's word, the land was promised to the children of Israel. So much so that back in 1948, God established the nation of Israel one more time and has been gathering back his people to the land. I would say there's probably a plane landing today with Jewish people coming back to their homeland because it belongs to them by promise. If you're taking notes, just jot it down. We won't turn there. But this land, this land that's referenced in Numbers, was promised to the children of Israel to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. It was promised to Isaac, referenced in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. It was promised to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. It was reaffirmed, this promise, to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And God reminded the people of his promise when they broke camp at Sinai. Listen, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6. And the Lord God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, to the mountains in the lowland, the south on the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites, to the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and their descendants after them. This is God's promised land. That's where we get the phrase, the promised land, because God promised to give it to them. And with this command to spy out, 
Why would God do that? If he's already given it to them, why don't they just go in in obedience? Well, because of fear. Because of fear, they asked Moses for this move. Notice with me, if you want to turn there in Deuteronomy chapter 1, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning there in verse 19, we read, let me get there with you. Why are they going in? Well, they asked for it. In verse 19, chapter 1. So we departed from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord God is giving us. Look, the Lord has, your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear nor be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. And the plan pleased me well, so I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. And so now in verse chapter 13, we see God allowing this and telling Moses, go ahead and send them in. And so we wonder, what's going on here? God promised the land. They should have just went in. They come through the great and terrible wilderness. They're ready to go in. And they go, no, 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 we need to send people in. And Moses thought it was good. And now God commands it. What's going on here? Well, I want you to notice that there's no prayer in this. They're they're not seeking God. They're complaining, if you will, to Moses. Moses is agreeing. And now by the time they come to to this in, in numbers, God is saying, go ahead and send them in send them in. And there's no prayer. And you say, well, why would God tell them to send them in? And I want you to learn something very important. When we come to God in prayer, when we turn to God for some action, or when we choose to make a decision how careful we need to be not to try to fulfill our own agendas, because I think we all have them. We all have our own agenda in life. And what I mean by that is we all have our life the way we want it to go. We pray for this over here. We want this to happen over there. And so we just sort of make decisions. And sometimes we pray, sometimes we don't. You know, God brought back to me this week a very important episode in my life where I made this same mistake in my own life that affected me. Where I, I was in a situation about five years ago where Marie and I were in such a deep argument that I panicked. And it was a very difficult time. And, and I, I, we were arguing when a time we shouldn't have been arguing, and it didn't seem to be making any progress, and we were in a very weakened state, and, and I remember it like it was yesterday. There's a lot of memories around that time that I don't remember, but I remember it like it was yesterday. I panicked, which, by the way, panic is just really a heightened sense of anxiety. Like, uh, panic, you may not say, well, I never panic, Ed. Well, maybe you put it this way, anxiety on steroids, where you're just so desperate and you just don't know what to do in the moment. And Marie and I were in, in, a, in a very deep disagreement over a situation outside of our control, and I panicked, and without praying, without just stopping us, I didn't even have the wherewithal in my mind to stop us and, babe, we just need to pray right now, I immediately walked away from that argument and went to get help from another man. And I chose to trust in man and not to look to the Lord. And I I didn't do it in a way where like I was willfully sinning and neglecting God. It was a heightened sense of emotion. 
And unfortunately, to this day, I'm still paying the price of trusting man. It's not unlike the children of Israel in the, in the book of Joshua, where they come into the land and they seek God, and God gives them this wild, crazy idea or, or true of how they're going to defeat Jericho, and they do it. Jericho's defeated, and they get so confident. They go to the next city, which is Ai, and it's literally spelled Ai. And instead of praying, and instead of seeking God, they're just like, oh, it's a little city, no big deal. It's gonna, we'll just, just send a few men up there. And what happens? They are defeated, people lose their life, and Joshua gets desperate. And he begins to be desperate in prayer. And this is where it says in Joshua, where God tells him, get up and stop praying. There's sin in the camp. And he's got to go back and deal with that man by the name of Achan. Achan pays the price and so does his whole family for his sin. Here's an example here. And you can jot it down, but listen to this, listen to this biblical truth. They, they didn't want to go in and possess the land by promise. They wanted to send spies. So what does God do? Send spies. And this is what I think he's describing because we see this later on in their wilderness wandering in Psalm 106 verse 15. It's a very sobering truth. Listen, just let it soak in as I read it to you. Psalm 106 verse 15. It says that God gave them their request, but sent leanness to their soul. We don't want to push our agenda so hard that God grants our request, but since it's not his agenda and it's not his plan, we also receive the leanness in our souls or you know, what, what we might describe today, the consequences of our bad decisions. The consequences of our bad decisions decisions. How careful we need to be. God had already spied out the land, church. He already knew what it was like. He knew the giants were there, as you'll see the report in a moment. He already spied out the land, which encourages me when I face things that I don't quite know how they're going to turn out. When I face things and I'm not sure what's up ahead, this scripture, uh, God gave me this scripture when we were studying through the book of John. And I don't know about you, but I still, almost every day when I'm reading the Bible, will come across a verse that's almost like the first time I've ever seen it. Like it's just, I, I've been reading the Bible for 27 plus years. I, I mean, hours and I mean, who knows how long, just hours and hours and hours of reading the Bible. And there I am preparing for a Bible study for our church in John chapter 6, and I'm reading the Bible like, man, I've never seen that before. Or I've never seen it that way before. And, and I've, never really ex I've never really received that insight before. And I probably have a thousand times, but it was just so fresh. And let me read it to you because it so comforts me in my life. Because I don't know what's up ahead. I don't know what's around the corner. I don't know what a phone call is going to make. I don't know what a text message is going to make. I don't know. But I do know this. Jesus already knows what he's going to do. He already knows. I belong to him. He already knows what he's going to do. And then listen to what the Bible says. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes. This is John chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But listen, this is verse 6, John 6, 6. <clears throat> but this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. <laughs> I love that. You can take great comfort today that God himself knows what he's going to do in your life. He already knows. And it makes sense, doesn't it, not to prepackage all of our desires and say, God, do it this way, because God might just do it that way and send leanness into your soul. We want God's way, not our way. Is there anybody that wants to amen that? 
I do. Amen to that. I have to say, I don't always want God's way over my way, and it's a battle. It's what the Bible describes, a battle of the flesh and the spirit. And the two are contrary to one another. I, I see this all the time with followers of Jesus. I, I, see, it, I see this all the time. Be, before we go to God, before we step out in faith, uh, we want to make sure. Like before you're, some of you might be ready to take a step of faith, you say, oh, I just want to make sure. Like, like God's word and his confirmation isn't enough for you. And there's a significant difference between waiting on the Lord, truly waiting on God for direction, and waiting for more information before you'll take a step of obedience. There's a difference. There's a difference between God having you in wait mode, asking him for direction and clarity, and already knowing what to do and not doing it and saying you're waiting on the Lord. We have an example of that in the Bible book, the Old Testament book of Judges. We don't have time to develop it today, but when it comes to this young man by the name of Gideon, he already knew exactly what he was supposed to do, but instead of doing it, you guys that know the Bible story, it's true, he put out what's called a fleece. And he says, okay, if it's from you, God, then I'm going to put out this fleece, and you're going to work in a certain way with the dew, and if I wake up in the morning and it's exactly what I, then I know what I'll do. And so he does that, and God is patient with him, and he has it, God has it work out exactly as Gideon wanted, because why? God's will was already set. He already knew what Gideon, he wanted Gideon to do. But Gideon said, Gideon in his mind is thinking, I don't want to go, I want God to prove it to me. And so he puts out a fleece, and you would think that would be it. Okay, Gideon, go do it again. Go do it. But what does he do? He puts out another fleece and says, okay, if it's really you, God, then do the opposite of you did last time. And isn't God so gracious? He did the opposite of what he did last time with the dew. And you would think that Gideon would go out with great confidence. He does, but not with the kind of confidence that you would think. The confirmations abound. And that's why I believe today that God does not lead by laying out fleeces. As a matter of fact, if you're in a place right now where you're laying out a fleece, you already know what to do. And you already have the way, you wouldn't be in the place of laying it out if you didn't already know what God's leading you to do. I don't believe that God leads by fleeces today, but rather by the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit. He speaks to you from the inside. He gives you direction of what he wants to do and confirms it in his word. So you have God's settled word and the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. That's all you need. So go home and take the fleece out of the backyard and get going on what God's called you to do. And obey him. He leads by his spirit. As his spirit illuminates the living word of God and moves us out to trust him and to believe on him. So notice back now, why are they here? Because they wanted it. And God gave it to them, and they suffered the consequences. So notice again that they were to send out these, um, in verse 2, everyone a leader. So let's notice in verse 4, and these were their names from the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zachar. And then you're going to go home today in front of your mirror and read verse 5 all the way through verse 15 and, and see how easy it is for you to name these names. And then I'm going to pick up in verse 16 where it says, these are the names of the men who Moses sent out to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. And so Moses sent them out to spy out the land of Canaan. These are leaders. I don't want you to miss that. Circle that word. They're leaders. And leaders in God's, among God's people, today leaders among God's church, to whom much is given, much is required. 
These are, men that are be, uh, that, these are the men that are to be examples of faith. These are the families that the church should look to, that the children of Israel should look to, to build their faith, not weaken their faith. These are the men and women that God would display his power, these men in particular, to display his power among the people. And so they're sent out, it says, and, and he tells them in verse 17, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests or not. And notice he says, be of good courage. Bring back some of the fruit of the land because the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So go out with very specific instructions. Just do a survey of the land and, and look for these things, strong or weak. Their forest is, forests or not. Just, just look at the land. But I want you to notice something that isn't said here. Right, don't miss this. Again, careful reading of the Bible will really help you. Something that Moses doesn't tell them is, go out, survey the land, and come back with your opinion of whether we should go in or not. That is not asked for. He doesn't say, go out, kind of assess it, figure it out, then come back to me and tell me what you guys think of whether we should go in. He doesn't say that. Except that I think they, they went out that way, lacking courage with their fear and they went out thinking, I'm on a reconnaissance trip so that I can bring back my opinion. Can I just say this, leaders? And, and I, say that, I say this to the leaders of our church. I say this to the leaders in other churches. I say this to you parents that are leaders, you guys that are leaders in your friendships. Every, I believe every Christian is a leader and we're to lead people to Jesus Christ. So that, this applies to everyone listening to me that is a follower of Jesus Christ. When someone comes to you for help, do not give them your opinion because your opinion doesn't matter. Open the Bible and give them God's opinion. Only God's word will speak to the issue in their life. Only God's word. Even if they come to you and say, hey, can I have your opinion? Say no. That's hard. It's a prick of your pride, isn't it? Because you know what? Well, I've got an opinion on that. Okay, we don't need your opinion. We need what God word, God's word says. Because I know if you would look at your life just in the last couple years, I'm positive you've changed your opinion on a few things. But God's word doesn't change. It, it applies to every situation, at every time, in every age and generation. Don't give opinions. Because opinions are wishy-washy. They don't, they don't really hold water. You know, I, I understand that sometimes our opinions are biblically based. I get that. But wouldn't it be better just to give the Bible? Wouldn't it be better just to open the Word of God and say, this is what it says? Now, I know sometimes, like, when I'm hosting the radio show, the call-in show, Calvary Live, and they call with a question, sometimes my answer is, the Bible doesn't answer that question. Because we can't just turn to a verse and say, the Bible, there's no verse that says, thou shalt not, and whatever the issue is. But then I'll follow up and say, however, even though there's no specific verse that will answer that question, there are a few truths throughout the scripture where we can discern the heart of God on how you're to make this decision. And so we expand the answer to look up a couple of different places where God has spoken on a subject, and then we discern the will of the Lord from that. We discern the understanding of God. So verse 21. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. 
And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place they called the valley of Eshkol because the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And the word Eshkol in the Hebrew just simply means cluster. In verse 25, they returned from spying out the land for 40 days. So they departed, came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them of all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So some estimate that this 40 years of spying out the land covered about 500 square miles of terrain. And after covering 500 miles of their survey, they didn't find anything except that which God already told them. At every turn, it was a confirmation of what God said would be there. Every time they would turn, yep, that's it, yep, that's it. Even so much so that they have, and some of you may have seen this depicted of these two men that would be standing side by side. They'd have a pole over their shoulders, and then in between them would be this life-size cluster of grapes. I mean, if you go to Israel with us, it's one of the little figurines that you can purchase and bring home where the cluster of grapes is so big, it's as big as the people. That's how it's depicted. It's as tall, almost as tall as the people, and they're carrying it on a pole and it takes two of them to carry it back. It's so big because the land is so lush and so wonderful. And here they are for 40 days. Now, those of you that are Bible students, you know that the number 40 often speaks of times of testing or judgment, like 40 days of the flood or 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus was 40 days tempted by the devil or 40 years of wilderness wandering. It's always the number of testing or judgment. And so the question is, you know, when you look at this, they're out there, they're being tested, and, and they're, they're facing this. I guess the question for us today is, is anybody turning 40 this year? Because this will be the year that God will work in your life and bring about some testings. But the good news is, is that even when Jesus brings a test, he already knows what he's going to do. The answer is always that abiding relationship of faith and trust in Jesus Christ just knowing that he's got it covered and that he already knows what's going to happen. The land was flowing with milk and honey just like God said. So if the, I wish that the chapter ended right here because at this point, it's still good news. They came back and reported exactly what they saw and it lined up exactly with what God wanted and you would think that the next verse is going to be, let's go. But instead, the next verse that we see is in verse 28. The next word is, nevertheless. Oh, that's not a good word. It's such a transition word. Oh, great, 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 great. Nevertheless. And these are going to where, where the naysayers and the pessimists come in. The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land in the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Mamorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan, verse 30. I mean, it was so bad that the people are all upset now. 
You know, and this is a large gathering. Thousands of people are being communicated to. And Caleb, one of the spies, he says, he quiets the people before Moses. And, and he says, let us go up at once and take possession. For we are well able to overcome it. Like Caleb, and, and we didn't read through the names because you're going to do that at the mirror at home. But notice in verse 6, he's one of the spies. And the other spy that has a good report is Joshua. And that's in verse 8. So Caleb and Joshua out of the 12... They don't buy into this bad opinion. And Caleb says, quiet, quiet, quiet. Let's just go in. What are we talking about? Of course, everything that we saw is exactly what God said. It's time to go in. But then verse 31, the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel, what does your Bible say? A bad report. Mark that. They gave a bad report of the good news of what they saw in the land. This is the trick and the scheme of the devil himself to take something good and twist it into something bad. It was good. Everything that they saw was good. Everything that they saw confirmed God's word. But because of their fear, because of their anxiety, perhaps even their panic, they send the entire generation of Israel into 40 years of wilderness wandering and they don't enter in, we learn in Hebrews 3, because of unbelief. Notice verse 32. The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people who we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were we in their sight, which is a big problem here. Because they didn't know that possessing land had anything to do with looking at themselves. When you look at your own resources and your own ability, you will always come to the wrong conclusion. You will always meet the impossible with your own impossible resources. Like you don't have enough to meet the issues in your life. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough smarts. You don't have enough strength. You don't have enough courage. Everything that you and I could possibly muster up in our lives cannot meet the impossible challenges that are before us. That's why God, he tells us that he is the God of the impossible, that with his resources and his strength and his ability and, and his help, you can meet anything head on by faith. The giants in the land, I know. The land devours people, I know. And that's the land I'm giving you. But they come back with a bad report. Notice what happens in verse 1 of chapter 14. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So let's just answer that together. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? No. That's the word of the Lord to someone today. It would not be better for you to go backwards. The answer is no. But you can become so discouraged and so demoralized and so gripped with fear and so concerned, and so filled with anxiety, and so panicked at the situation as it exists today, that your immediate thought is, we need to go backwards. Whether it's something in the practical realm, or it's something in the spiritual realm. 
Because in the spiritual realm, you happen to be in a church where the pastors and the leaders will open the Bible to you and will tell you the truth about your situation, even if it's painful to hear. You'll often hear that from the pulpit here. My responsibility here isn't to entertain you. My responsibility here is to teach you God's word so you will learn to obey him in your life. To display God in his great love and mercy and grace so your love for him will grow and love will motivate you to serve him with all of your life. That you'll just be so melted by his faithfulness and his goodness. And sometimes I have to tell you the truth. That's not even just sometimes. All the time, I have to tell you the truth about your life as it reflects in the Bible. And it's not always, I mean, if you could see what I see all the time, if you could see all the faces looking at me right now, and a few of them just looking at me like, dude, I am so mad at you right now. And I just look over you. I see you once and I look over you. I don't, I see you. Because I want you to track with me. And even if you're mad at me, I'm happy about that. You know why? Because you heard me, you processed what I said, and you've got a response. So even if you get mad, you don't get out of it. Because God is going to say, you heard him? Yep. And you understand him? Yep. And you're mad at him? Yep. Well, my word got into your heart. And you're like, nope. You know, it's like, so it doesn't matter the response. Like if you could say, uh, my responsibility is to tell you the truth because only the truth will set you free. And to speak the truth to you in love. And, and what that means is, is that even if it's painful, I'm going to choose God's holiness and righteousness and honoring him than trying to make you happy and like me because I'm, I say, well, I, I won't tell you that then. I just won't tell you that then. And that way we could leave the building and you kind of like me. And, you know, and pastors, you know, they have issues with, um, we, we have issues with insecurity at times and all that. And so there are those people, it, we're living in the last days. You know what the Bible says in the last days? That there'll be a group of people because their ears are tickling that they'll raise up a teacher for them so that the teacher will tell them what they want to hear. That's even what happened in Jeremiah chapter 29. There, there were people lying to the children of Israel that, and God said, I didn't send them. You want to sit before a man that's pastoring and teaching in a church that God sent into your life so that you'll receive the truth in love and respond accordingly in the short days that we have left. You don't want your life to be filled with all these neverthelesses. God wanted to do a great thing, nevertheless. God's ready to move you in, nevertheless. God's ready to explode in your life by faith through this trial, through this difficulty. But nevertheless, you took things into your own hands and made it worse. You know, the, the problem with this is that there are 12 spies and 10 of them came back with a bad report. Only two of them came back with, let's go. And Caleb is the spokesperson. Let's go. The other 10, oh no, oh no, no, we can't do it. Leaders. We don't believe God. We don't think it's from God. It's going to be too hard. It's too, that 10 leaders. And guess what? The people listen to the majority. And lest we forget church as we head out today, the majority is not always right. The majority is not always right. Why is that important to us? Well, we live in a in our form of government in our country is a republic or what we might refer to as a democracy. And the way things work in the voting booth is majority wins. And so generally a majority out of 100, just for the sake of easy math here, a majority out of 100 is 50 plus one. That's a majority. So, so a majority, 51, 
could also have 49 that strongly disagree, but because of our form of government, the majority wins. And then 51% say yes, the 49% are upset. But let me suggest this to you, that even in that, 51 can be wrong over the 49, but consider the same 100. Even if 99 out of 100 say the same thing, it doesn't make them right. 99 could say something, and the lone one voice could actually be that which is right. But it's been ingrained in us to think majority wins, majority rules, majority rules. We've just lived that way. But the Bible is so contrary to human thinking that we have an example here that 10 out of the 12 drowned out the two correct ones. And the people listened to the bad report of the twisting of the truth by the 10. And we need to be very careful, church, who we listen to. We want people to give us the truth. We want people to give us the truth in love. We want people in our lives that will open the Bible and share God's truth with us. We just don't want someone who will agree with us and fuel the flames of our flesh. We, I mean, we may want it, but we really don't want it. We may desire it, but we really don't need it. We want people in our life that will tell us the truth. You know, well, I don't like what pastor so-and-so said. And the pastor down the street says something different, so I think I'll go there. Well, you go there to your own hurt. So I don't like my friend, you know, I don't like, he, he just spoke the truth to me, so I'm going to get a new friend. Well, you do that to your own hurt and the consequences of your own decisions. How careful we need to be to keep the book as the standard and surround us with people that keep the book as the standard. And this is the standard by which we live, to be interpreted in context by the Holy Spirit. Caleb, he stands up and says, be quiet, let's go in. And today, what I would just ask you to pray for Caleb's in your life. Somebody that would come along and say, be quiet. Let's go obey God. Quiet down. With all the nervousness and all the worry and all the panic, quiet down. And let's just go in. Let's follow God. Let's obey him. And if you're taking notes, let me give you three things. We're not going to develop them. They could be Bible study in their own. But I want to give them to you so you can meditate them on, this, on them this week, especially in light of fear. Um, how do we gain fee- freedom from fear? Number one, freedom from fear comes through remembering God. Remembering God. Truly knowing God and living in his truth. Believing them over the lies of the enemy will begin to dissipate your fear of the situation or your fear of people. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he's given us. Remember God. Number two, freedom from fear comes through remembering God's power. Or another way of saying that, remembering that God is in control. You do belong to God after all, is that right? You were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We remember that today in communion. And so one of the ways to really walk through fear is to remember that God's in control and anything that's happened in your life has certainly not taken God by surprise. You might be a little shocked and surprised, but God is not. And so when we come to God, we know that his, his decisions are good for us. And, you know, it's so, it's, it's so normal for us to make a decision of faith and then to be hit with fear right away. So I'm ready to step in this. I think this is the time. You come to the place, you take a step of obedience, and then boom, before you're even finished with the sentence, fear enters in. And if that's you, hang in there. Stand strong by grace. 
Don't let your faith run out before God comes through. Don't let your faith run out before God comes through to reveal his perfect will in your life. In Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Remember Hebrews chapter 3, why didn't they enter in? Because of unbelief. And then finally, number three, freedom from fear comes through remembering that God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. It's true. His plan is being worked out in you right now. But I'm afraid, pastor. Okay, then take that fear to the planning room of God or what the Bible calls the throne room of grace. It's the planning room of God where his will is being worked out in your life. And I mentioned it earlier in in Jeremiah 29. It says in verse 11, God speaking, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. Read chapter 29 in Jeremiah today uh, for some devos this afternoon, maybe after lunch or after your nap. Read through and see how the people were being faced with very confusing circumstances, being taken captive by Babylon. Babylon could become a picture and a type of fear. The people had been taken captive by fear, and there were, people, there were other men that were sent into their life lying to them, and God answers through Jeremiah, don't listen to them, I didn't send them. You stay where you're at and obey me because I know the thoughts that I have toward you. They're good and not evil. So encouraging. Jeremiah 29. It'll encourage you today. So Father, as we turn our hearts and attention towards you, we know uh, that you just have such a great word for us where we can trust you and know you, where we can walk in your ways even when we're fearful, even when we are, um, you know, just panicking. I know that you reminded me of that circumstance in my life this week very uh, specifically because of this Bible study. You wanted it to be used. And I wish it didn't happen in my life. I wish I could take that decision back. I wish I could do it all over again. But you knew what you were going to do. And you still do know. And so with our lives, Lord, filled with fear and anxiety or just wondering what the future might bring or afraid to walk into the promises that you've given us, Would you strengthen and help us to live lives of obedience that we might not be like those in Hebrews that they would not enter in because of unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-3. 7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.